Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals Podcast. It is so great to be with you today. On this episode of the podcast, I brought on Rohati. He is an author, he pastors a church, and he has a new book coming out called When We Belong, Reclaiming Christianity on the Margins. This was a really um, amazing conversation. I really loved his perspectives on so many things. So of course we talk about church because he's still part of a church. We talked a lot about how to form different kinds of church communities. So buckle up, really a fantastic episode. Rohati, if you're listening to this, thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure to have you on. Uh, So make sure everyone you check out his book. I'll put a link in the show notes, pick it up, pre-order it, whatever you have to do and get a copy yourself. That being said, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mad Priest Coffee, our favorite coffee roastery over in Chattanooga, Tennessee, making amazing coffee um, that honestly is hilariously satirical when it comes to poking fun at evangelical culture, but also fights for great causes. They're fighting the war on drugs. They're resisting Christian nationalism. They're a beautiful, locally owned and uh, and uh, mom and pop shop kind of roastery. If you go to their website, madpriestcoffee.com and type in TNE20 in the show, uh, show notes. I always say this, but if you type in TNE20 in the checkout, you'll get 20% off your order. You can find that in the show notes. And of course, we are going to Trip Fuller's Theology Beer Camp God Pod Edition with so many other amazing podcast people and theologians. Brian McLaren, I say this all the time, friends. If you listen to the show, you know it's the same spiel, but they're always, it's worth saying every single time. We got Brian McLaren, Diana Butler Bass, Trip Fuller. Kevin Garcia, Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza, uh, Adam Clark, etc. Amazing, amazing folks. And Noah and I are going down on October 13th through 15th to hang out with everyone. So go to our link in our show notes, type in TNE, get 50 bucks off your ticket, and hang out with us in North Carolina. I cannot wait. Last thing I will say is thank you. Sincerely, thank you for either watching or listening to this podcast. I understand that there are so many other podcasts you could be listening to. It means the world that you would let my voice voice enter into your ears and bring you a guest to hopefully help you explore different ways of being Christian outside of the evangelical tradition that so many of us grew up in. If you want to support the show and the work that we do as an organization, you can donate in the link in our show notes. We do not do Patreons, friends. We do not give bonus episodes because here's the honest reality. In this line of I guess you can call it work, but in this community, we we from the beginning said we don't want to withhold help from people for financial gain, especially because some people just don't have the money to give. So what we do is we take a different approach. We say community, we all have different abilities. Some of you might be very wealthy. Some of you might not be. Some of you might be able to really share our content on your larger platforms to help us get the word out. Some of you might be able to donate money to help us make this all happen. So what we're saying is if you can help, we will take it, whether it's a financial donation, whether it's sharing the show, rating uh, and reviewing the podcast, whatever it is, uh, being a part of our community on Instagram and sharing our content there, we really see it as a community working together to do something. So I understand that I'm the host, I understand that I'm the creator of this, but it cannot be about platforming me. That's not what this is about. That's why most of our podcast episodes and most of the work that we do involves platforming other people and trying to bring people who maybe are are in the emergency room, if you will, right, fully bloodied and, and all wounded from evangelicalism. We're trying to help them heal and introducing them to other people to help them along their journey. So I know it's a little long winded, but I want to get that out there because donations help make that possible. Without donations, this space isn't possible. Without your financial support, this podcast does not not happen. So if you are willing and able, if you can click on the link in our show notes and donate, that'd be so helpful. All donations are tax deductible. We are a legitimate, registered, legal nonprofit. All right, friends, that's all I got on this episode. Here's my interview with Rohati. I hope you enjoy it. Rohati, it is great to have you. Thanks for making time. Um, it's truly a treat. I'm looking forward to having this conversation. So thanks for making the time. That's my pleasure. Thanks for including me in in the mix of things. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I discovered you on Twitter and I was like, oh, 
Uh, this guy's writing a book, When We Belong, Reclaiming Christianity on the Margins. It comes out in June 2022, which really, it could be out by the time this airs. And I'm like, I, I got to talk to him and see what's going on. So that's pretty much as far as I got. I did a little bit of research, so I'm kind of looking forward to unpacking a little bit about you and why you're writing this book. So why don't we kind of start there? I mean, who is Rahadi? Did you grow up in evangelical spaces? Are, you know, How did that work out? And what brought you to writing a book now called <laughs> When We Belong? Yeah. Well, the the book I, will be out when this podcast comes out because apparently it's a month early, so it's out. <laughs> um, American users will get it before Canadians. Okay, uh, I guess it comes by boat up here. <laughs> so that's uh, part of the story. I'm I'm Canadian, but I was born in. Never, that wasn't in the church <laughs> and sometimes i say oh i never grew up in church and that's totally not true i actually started going to church as a kid deep in the suburbs of calgary so i've lived in calgary my whole okay. almost my whole life okay and it was an ultra charismatic mm. conservative church i had no idea right just give me the little picture bible inserts and we good to go yeah yeah, yeah. I unpacked that later in the book, uh, you know, 40 years later or almost, and uh, the pieces of deconstructing or decolonizing my faith. But it started there, moved quickly into evangelical spaces. So you have to understand in Canada, we rarely have a unique thought when it comes to our conservative Christianity, and we mm. just peel everything, we just replicate everything out of the U.S. In fact, we consume everything that the U.S. puts out, maybe nuance it slightly, but for conservative evangelical circles, it's same, 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 but we're far more we, not we anymore, but conservative mm. evangelicals are a minority um, compared to the U.S., so that was my formation growing up in the church of uh, small, white, I would call it now, wouldn't call it that then, Yeah, conservative evangelicalism until I left for university and then started to realize that all the pieces that didn't fit for me as being a multi-ethnic person, yeah. I could never find belonging. It was always, something was always weird and it's usually many things are weird. And initially, I thought it was a problem of mission, but the church was just incompetent at connecting with people who were, you know, don't look like it, which is true. But what I didn't realize was how deep aspects of racialized segregation and those pieces, the systemic aspects of what it means to belong, are embedded in the formation of the church, of which conservative evangelicalism is among the worst. So that was kind of the space of trying to figure out where I belong. I went to seminary right after university Wow! Uh, because uh, God called me, quote unquote, God called me. I heard <laughs> yeah. the calling, the yeah. calling, you know, <laughs> got the green light <laughs> from the Lord himself. Of course, um, <laughs> the Lord himself, himself. That's what uh, God was back then. Yeah. Um, yeah. Today, I wouldn't give up my seminary training by any means, but it certainly pressed me into a space where I. I'm gifted to be a lead pastor in all of the traditional sense, but one missing aspect, and I'm not white. So mm. the only place I could serve would be in, a, in an ethnic congregation, but or lead rather as a lead. But I don't fit in into any ethnic congregation wholly either. So belonging was just a big question. And I'm also an entrepreneur, so I opted to church plant. Mm. And that was long time ago, 2008, I finished seminary and okay. then went straight into church planting, to, you know, to use those terms. I sure. think your listeners would know what that's all about, <laughs> but I never church planted with anyone. I did it by myself, which is stupid, but no one would take me really, even though I went through a number of hoops with some folks, but just the approach that I had, which wasn't to replicate a service on Sunday, mm. uh, do something cool to bring all my you know, cool friends, if I had cool friends, <laughs> just to replicate Sunday service and maybe do a Wednesday small group wasn't my, my thing. Yeah. I was interested in trying to connect with people that the church was incompetent at connecting with. Hmm. So that was a question of mission initially. Oh, we just have crap mission 
fix mission. So that was when emergent and yeah. missional yes, and all that missional. stuff. Remember all that? I've been part of a missional church plant before. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of the, the because discipleship, let me tell you, <laughs> in evangelicalism, they call it uh, 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 leadership development. Yes. Yes. Ever been a leadership summit every year? Uh, of course, every year we're, <laughs> we're bringing, bringing a team. <laughs> yeah, we'll every year. Team. <laughs> yeah. Every yeah. year, you know, it's the weakest component in evangelical churches: discipleship. <laughs> That's a, my God. It's trash. Hot uh, trash. Just come to come to service. Maybe bring a friend. Right. And you're good. And you're good. Right. So mission doesn't solve it. Right. Because there are deeper problems. So I quickly figured that out and then realized that this whole church thing kind of centers around a long, drawn out, slow process of just trying to figure out how to love one another better. Yeah. I don't know. I can't say that the church broadly doesn't know how to do that. It's not true because there are so many good churches that are doing that. But when we look at the context I came out of when we look at contemporary Christianity and how deeply racially segregated it is. Yeah. There are problems that I don't think can be addressed by just incrementally shifting the institution. So that's why I've served in small ways, like in church at least. And of course started to write a lot more about a reimagination of the Christian faith. What does it look like going forward? To not worry about trying to alter the center, but come up with new ways, either on the fringe or completely outside of the box. Because as demographics shift in our countries, the church must shift as well. And, and community must look very different in order to match where people are at in their search for belonging, wholeness, and what it means to be fully human. Didn't touch on the book. That's like context right there. <laughs> well, we have plenty of time to get into the book, which we're definitely going to. Um, it is interesting how you hit so many of the buzzwords that I also grew up kind of inhaling, you know, organic community, <laughs> missional, um, e- emergent church. I mean, you know, I remember I remember being Hot. 18, being like, oh, who's this Rob Bell guy? Who's this Brian McLaren guy? Oh, and man. Then, and then I'm, I'm at the same time, again, not knowing what I'm swimming in, I'm also listening to Paul Washer sermons. And I'm like, yeah, maybe we can reconcile some of this stuff. And I, I've also been part of missional church plants, and 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 a lot of the language that you have of just like you're trying to you're you're trying to find new ways to be mission, you know, missional for lack of, of a better term, but it's not really doing it. It's not fixing like the the problem that you're trying to diagnose. And I think that's a really apt point because I remember thinking, like, what's the Rubik's cube rhythm, like, like algorithm that I'm missing to solve this problem? Um, of the wording I use is of going from like spectator and event centered to participant yep, yep. and and community centered. Yeah, and consumer, it seems yeah. yeah, consumer, right? I you know I call Sunday morning in a lot of the spaces the the the, the sugar rush, right? It's like give me that shot of sugar <laughs> so I can survive, yeah. but you can't live right. on sugar. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm I'm with you in a lot of these different ways that you're talking about, and um, so where does the book come in then? Like, is 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 the book? kind of your reflections on all of this put into a book of like, hey, we can't we can't reform the evangelical structures. We have to like re, we have to rethink them completely. Where what, what, what's going on there? Yeah. I don't care what the evangelical church does. Okay. It could reform. Like mm. I'm not calling for its destruction. I it could. <laughs> I can't imagine why folks, especially people of color would expend limited energy resource, their life, their body to put it on the line, to try to save it. Hmm. But I'm not calling for, for it to burn like whatever. I'm too busy doing something else on the outside. Right. To really worry about what the talking voices on the inside have to say. Hmm. Um, There's so much life on the outside. So the book initially was, was this attempt like the first ideas of it centered around how to build multi-ethnic congregations. Mm. That was in my wheelhouse. Like, where could I belong? Right. But then I realized that's such a small, like, who am I going to sell books to? <laughs> who would read that book? The leadership network might pick it up. <laughs> like, 
So I expanded it because the question I was asking was about how do we find and build remarkable people who are already on the fringe? And which is, I think, a deeper question around if you have ever experienced that ain't right moments in church, and it doesn't matter if you're racialized, an ethnic minority, there are many intersections. And even if it's your beliefs, women can be in ministry. Um, same gendered marriage is okay. Even if it's those things, has something put you on the outskirts of community where you have been othered? Mm. And have you incurred the wrath of being pushed to the margins? If so, and if you've experienced, seen, but mostly experienced in your own core and body, body, heart, and soul of that ain't right moments, I want to affirm that. I want to name what the problems are within the institution. So we need to name the sources of that ain't right. Mm. And then usher in a space to say, listen, wholeness is out there. Liberation is out there. And it takes a reclamation of this Brown Jesus gospel story Mm. in order to find the pieces that can match your body and where you're going. Mm. uh, Where liberation is found. So in, in many ways, it's, it's not, of course, new, although there are some pieces where there are aspects of drawing into specific stories of the land in which you are situated. Mm. So a decolonization of Christianity means a decentering of white Eurocentered thinking. And if you're going to do that, you need to replace it with something. Right. So in Canada, which would be different than in America, you're going to appeal predominantly to indigenous spirituality or stories and knowledge situated literally on the land that you are you are on and then couple that with an exploration of how Jesus how God and creation are intersecting together uh in america you might appeal to more uh black church black theology womanist theology brown church theology right. uh, liberation theology mm-hmm. all these pieces of where we can find Jesus, because it's Jesus is a God on the margins. Jesus was marginalized, was on the margins. The story is not a story of conquest. It's not a story where we can, as if you are white, right. you can situate yourself in the story with Jesus. I mean, you can if you individualize or turn it into a soul-only exercise. Right. But because the whole story is about marginalized people groups constantly and consistently, that we need to appeal to those on the margins today to find where we're going for tomorrow. So that's kind of where the book is going is I want to affirm people where they're at, yet add language to help them make sense of their Christianity today when in fact so many or perhaps all things are pushing you out. And I want to call back and say, you don't got to go. There's a way forward. And Jesus is at the center of that. I, um, yeah, it's really well said. I don't like using the term for my own story of the word marginalized. I don't think it's the right word. But I definitely found the boundaries of evangelicalism in my own spaces and was asked to pretty much stop doing this work or you know leave my faith community. Mm-hmm. And I, I chose to leave. And uh, you know, incredibly painful. As I know that my story is not unique in that way. And honestly, my pastor shook my hand. Some people don't even get that. You know, they just get a, a swift kick out the door. Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, I think it's interesting because I think a yeah. lot of people. Um, I, I'll talk. I'll just say me for an example. You know, someone who ignorantly was complicit in so much of what I'm now seeing now is white Eurocentric thinking, um, centering of white of white male theology, um, and coming to even the little gr- little bit of grips that I have just by reading James Cone or I, you know, I had talked to Dr. Angela Parker who wrote the book God Still Breathes. Why can't I? Womanist theology. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you 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 listen, you start reading, you're you know, you're listening to this book, that book, and you go, oh my god, like I never understood till now and now it's like well what the hell do i do right like i've been so complicit and i don't want to hijack new terminology that isn't my terminology to to have at the same time i've been kicked out of my own circles you know and so i i get that idea one of my questions i wanted to ask you is you made an interesting statement you said there's so much life on the outside 
I think you were referring to like outside of evangelicalism. Can you unpack that for me? Like, what what does that mean when when, when you say that there's so much life? Yeah, I think that there's so much to God's story beyond mm. the 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 center, or at least what we perceive to be the center, the loudest mm. voices, yeah. those who are commercially placed oh, yeah, at yeah. the top. So here, I'll use an, uh, a story for folks who are processing, especially white folks, ex-evangelical deconstruction, whatever hashtag you want to use. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know what I'm saying? And totally. so there's, there's these white folks who are processing out of toxic Christianity, no doubt, no doubt. And they're going to leave it all behind. And that's almost an iteration of white supremacy in that Hmm. you can't even imagine the possibilities of a Christianity outside of white hegemony. So outside of the, out of white thought, there couldn't possibly be a God and different and new possibilities out there. Yeah. Yet there are. And there's so much God out there as when you read the stories of the, of the, Womenist theologians, black theologians, and so forth, you start to discover layers of Jesus or of God that strike you. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, like you remember the first time you're reading some of these books and the light goes off. And I think that's because a part of your spirit and your body is being set free. Mm. Oh man, give me more of those free moments. And so there is, perhaps it's daunting a process of now letting go of that old formation, putting it behind, of course, doing the, <laughs> the therapy to get over some of the trauma and the grief, right? True that. It's grief. It's grief. <laughs> Absolutely. No doubt. You yeah. got to do that. Yeah. Yet there are possibilities out there because there is a more beautiful story. And so now it's retelling or drawing near to those storytellers who are offering up a better way. And it's out there. And so I offer possibilities and pathways. I don't offer, you know, answers, but I do offer options for you to walk down. And even for, as you shared, you wouldn't call yourself marginalized. I did stretch it though to, I don't center white folks, which is, you know, most books in Christian publications center white folks as the reader. I centered folks who are like me, Yeah, but So it's a little bit altered in the way that white folks will read it, but I still intentionally expanded it to include white folks, of course, because in your work, you were pushed to the margins because of your theological thinking. And that wasn't right. The community did not operate in a reciprocal uh, learning environment or posture. Mm. They pushed you out. That's not right. That's not what's supposed to happen in Christian community. And so when I think of gendered minorities or uh, at the LGBTQ community, yeah, I think there's a lot of folks who have been pushed who aren't racialized and y'all have a story to reclaim too. And so there is a togetherness and a unity towards determining where our liberation lies. Yes. I, I, man, so, so good. Um, when I read um, The Cross and the Lynching Tree mm. by, by uh, Dr. James Cohn, that, that book was one of the moments where I said, holy smokes, mm. I have never thought about the crucifixion like this. I have mm. never put it in this way. And it was one of those moments where, where, that you mentioned a few minutes ago where you said, this, a part of me is freed. And I need more of this. Like, there's there's a grander story where I my people who look like me don't have to be the center at all, and we could just sit mm-hmm. and listen and learn and become students all over again. And and that book, along with you know uh, Black uh, Theology and Black Power and a few other books, uh, really began that process. I think for me, where it was like, whoa, you know. And, and the analogy we use in in our like new evangelical spaces, you know, we see like like the Christian thought and history as like a house, a big house with, with tons of rooms. I mean, there's so many rooms. And a lot of people are walking out of that basement of evangelicalism for the first time. <laughs> the basement. I call it the basement. Yeah. You know, in the corner is the Calvinist, like in the dark yeah. corner, right? So so they walk out of that of that room and, and and as they're walking up the stairs, people are yelling from the basement saying, mm. if you open that door, you're not going to be a Christian anymore. There's only <laughs> destruction, right? And these people, they open it. 
And it's like, whoa, there's a house here full of rooms. <laughs> and, and I think there's an anxiety in the beginning, but the more you do it, the more you, ex- the more you, you think about it, the more of, a, of an exploration it becomes. Where it's like, whoa, I didn't know that this room was built by so-and-so, and that's still tied very much into historical Christianity in some way, shape, or form. Maybe a little mm-hmm. bit different than my basement, mm-hmm. but it's still tied there. And wow. I can learn so much about that. And that perspective, when I thought about that, shifted how I looked at different yes. ways of seeing theology yeah. and, 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 and also intersecting with other things. It, was more, it wasn't so much, is this objectively true or not, and can I prove it? It was more, okay, there's something here. It's attached to the house. I have something to learn here. And that's mm-hmm. really been helpful, I think, for a lot of people, including myself, of thinking about it that way. That's the third or fourth chapter of my book, developing that alertness mm. of, of being struck with a realization that your thoughts or your beliefs aren't the only ones out there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and for me, it yeah. was, and I weave this story, but for me, one of the catalysts, you know, one of many, but one of the catalysts was going to Ethiopia. Mm. and seeing an ancient form of Christianity that's never been colonized and realizing through my evangelical lens, there are pieces of what I was seeing in both their worship, but also in their storytelling that struck me immediately as heresy. And then as soon as it struck me as, oh, my goodness, I've never seen the Trinity depicted like so. Mm. Mm, Good, sir. The the (laughs) next piece was, why on earth do I think that? Like, yeah, or, right. what, what makes me think that this is wrong? Like, what formation behind me that I cannot even see has produced such a thinking that, oh, this beauty, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is wrong. That's and right. so I stopped me in my tracks and I realized that in a decolonized Christianity, it was never colonized to begin with, it's not decolonized, hmm. that this uh, Ethiopian Orthodox tradition was lending me a picture of God beyond my imagination. And, and it totally altered my paradigm. It shifted mm-hmm. me. It had to. I couldn't take my eyes, my gaze away from the ways that my formation was called into question. And I could have left it there and been like, oh, that was a nice trip. Or I could have dug deeper and celebrated the magnitude of beauty that the Ethiopian church offered in, in, <laughs> in those 10 days, but you know, processing ever since. Yeah. So what are some things for you? You mentioned that, um, you know, there's like some, some newness here. There's some rethinking of things. And I think we both agree that, that in, in a lot of ways, like a lot of the foundational blocks of life aren't new, but how they're interpreted and how, the, how a culture might, might face new challenges certainly is, right? Um, and so are there, is there anything that, as you're writing this book, that you drew on from the past you know, um, from, from any stream of Christian thought that kind of influenced how you decide to move forward, um, you know, as, as you write a book like this about, about reclaiming Christianity on the margins? Yeah, I can share two of them. And I think part of telling a story of, or offering new language, especially for North American Christians who yeah. have been shaped predominantly in, in white European-centered thinking, right. is you appeal to the scriptures. Right. <laughs> so you play the game. You play the game, right? Like yes. I can play the game. Right. And uh, yeah, I went to school to play the game. I'm an expert in these things, right? And so there's a few things that I challenge right off the bat, you know, one of them being scripture itself or the Bible and saying how its interpretation or translations are always through a lens of bias. Right. And there are some hot trash translations out there that are super popular. Um, and then there are ones that are that are better, but it's always interpretation. So that should at least call into question uh, the stories. I, I still believe scripture is infallible, which means it's completely trustworthy, yes. but it's always filtered through community, which right. is, of course, it's detriment because you can wind up with anti-vaxxers, you can wind up with white supremacists, and you can yep. wind up with all that. And so that is its danger. And that's the contextualization or the beauty of <laughs> and the curse of, of scripture. Hmm. The two postures, though, that I bring out, and again, I lend possibilities. I don't answer them fully. Sure. One of them is to a reclamation of nonviolent atonement or Christus Victor, mm-hmm. which I think was a posture of the early church 
which is to say that we just came out of Easter, that all the blood and the gore, although blood sacrifice might have been part of the story, the vengeance, the appeasement of wrath, the necessity that God is an angry God and requires a suitable sacrifice in order to appease, so forth, that that most likely is not a posture of the early church. Rather, the, the declaration of victory and how Christ defeats all the powers through resurrection is the central motif. So you, so many of us are processing out of the weirdness, the yeah. hatred, yeah. the belligerency of <laughs> the, this story around Easter of, of belligerent God and trying to find liberative ways to understand what this all means. Because I believe that Christianity still hinges on resurrection. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my take. Yeah. And yet we need that story in order to make sense of our faith. So we, we aren't just picking and choosing, you know, the pieces that we struggle with that we'll just sort of ignore it. No, let's, let's deal with the foundational elements. The other foundational piece that I think is crucial to the early church, and I use the stories around, one of them I use is uh, Peter in Joppa and the he has this vision as he's just sort of lying down before lunch and the sheet comes down with all the unclean animals and God says, eat. And he says, no way. Cause Peter's a bit dim, right? He's always just messing up and God has to, or Jesus corrects him within that drop of story is also right after that, when he goes to a Roman centurion's home, and the Holy Spirit comes down to the Gentiles for the first time. That's crucial to the story because it is a picture of radical inclusivity. Yep. So the two problems with this for the Jewish believers were food and also circumcision. If that was an identifying piece of whether you could be Christian. Yeah. And the upturn both. Now, if you want to uphold it, sure, whatever. But right. do you have to do it? And they sit down, they realize, despite what the scriptures say that uh, these things are required, we reinterpret them now because they were holding back community and the expansive love and inclusivity that Jesus sought. And that is a rubric for us today. And you can use a couple of examples of contemporary problems, same-gendered marriage, uh, racialized segregation. You can pick more. But when you look at, say, the, the same-sex marriage problem, problem in evangelicalism or conservative Christianity, uh, there's a posture and there's an approach to how the New, uh, the New Testament church uh, intersected with theological assumptions and religious assumptions and upturned them. We can do the same with ease and adopt uh, the same postures. Uh, all for the purpose of embodying practices of radical inclusivity in community. I think that's a critical piece so that they're not just sending or excluding or the expulsion of Tim. Rather, there is a completely life-altering composition of community that seeks to embody Jesus and what it means to have this reciprocal, rooted-in-love relationship to figure out what it means despite uh, uh, disagreements. How can we move forward in love with one another on, on equal playing ground? So those are just two possibilities. I don't uh, give a five steps for, for either of them. But <laughs> well, I you're tell saying the your book gives us no answers, no concrete. If you just do this, then you're guaranteed to grow that new mega church. No answers. No, no, no. <laughs> you know what? I had a deadline to write this book. <laughs> I had a deadline. And so like, I was like, how am I going to answer this in the end, right? Yeah. <laughs> how am I going to answer it? And uh, I end off with, I don't have an answer. <laughs> like I literally, that's the end chapter. It's like, here's the conclusion. You're all expecting the bow. A nice bow on the present, <laughs> the present. Uh, we're just going to tie it up. And I say, I don't know. I'm only 20 years into this. Right. Like, if you know how, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And I think that's part of the beauty is that together in community, we're going to try to give ourselves and each other enough grace to figure it out imperfectly as we go. 
Most of us have clothes that we've loved for years, maybe even decades, but it's harder than ever to find clothes that will stand the test of time. If you're looking for more pieces designed to last, you can't go wrong with American Giant. From hoodies and t-shirts to denim and more, they've got everything you need to build a wardrobe that you'll be proud of for years to come. All American Giant clothing is created with a commitment to doing things better. From the materials they use down to the last stitch in every piece. And everything is made right here in America, in partnership with people and communities. Because keeping things local ensures the kind of quality you'll appreciate as soon as you receive your order. Discover the American Giant difference today. Shop wardrobe essentials that last a lifetime at American-Giant.com. And get 20% off your first order when you use code LT23 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code LT23. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that. Yeah, um, I, I love the use of the, of the term possibilities. Um, they're worth exploring. I, I talked to um, uh, Mako Nagasawa uh, a little while ago. Um, he's a really big believer in uh, healing atonement theory. We had a great discussion about that. Mm. And it was really, again, just a different framework, right, of like, of like God as healer. God as the great physician, you know, healing the world from 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 sin, the, the disease, disease of sin, and in that also made me rethink again how I see the atonement. I was probably similar to you, taught that God's angry and He had to pour out His wrath on Jesus. Thank God for that, so we can not burn forever. Um, yeah. And I also really love what you said about um, you know the second half of that. I just think. <sighs> I just think it's really good stuff. And I think how we interpret the Bible and I don't know, man. I mean, I, I, I was always taught that like, you know, the Bible is foundational in the sense of we can know exactly. I, I think that ultimately we put unrealistic and unfair expectations on a book that is not claiming to be a lot of the things that a lot of, in my yes. context, white evangelicals make it out to be, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and once I kind of got into some more of like the nuance and just started listening to other people who are just, you know, neck deep in this stuff, you're like, wait a second, something deeper is going on here. And it, it was yeah. quite freeing, honestly. Well, yes, yes. It's liberative when you determine that the thing that was supposed to be rules and regulations is a woven story. It has so many nuances, but it's in fact designed to liberate. Yes. It's to set you free, not yes. to bind you in this wrought thinking or exercise. Like, man, come on. Yes, and like you said earlier, I it's amazing to me how people miss out even in the narrative of mm. scripture this idea of the blessing of God being expanded. It's moving outward mm. throughout the mm-hmm. story of of of, of, mm. of the scriptures, right? Yes. Yeah. Um yeah. and and the the story of circumcision and 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 the and the story of uh you know Peter with the with the sheet and the clean animals unclean is such a telltale sign of like how people in their own day cuz I could picture people maybe be like hey, well, you know, uh Paul, the scriptures are clear. You know, like it's very black and white, like circumcision or bust, you know, like there's no yeah, yeah, way yeah. around it so to speak, right? <laughs> I choose bust. Right, yeah, right. Right. And Paul's like, "Well, Oh, if you think about it like this, and and some for some reason we've lost some of that beauty that I think we're kind of called as, uh, for lack of a better term, maybe Jesus people, whatever, to 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 take those ideas and use the wisdom partnering with God to make wise decisions about how we interpret these things for our cultural moment. Because there mm-hmm. are problems in our culture facing mm-hmm. us that Paul never had to deal with, and vice mm-hmm. versa, right? So how do we take those and make wise decisions as we as we take the story and the themes yeah. of what we see in Scripture uh, that, like you said, aim for liberation? I mean, sin's mm. oppressive. Paul says that. All mm. creation groans, you know, for mm. liberation of sin. But mm. we, but we, we're not taught to think about these terms in those ways because then that's Marxism, quote unquote. That is liberalism. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know what I mean? How, how did you make that jump? Right, Jesus. right, right. But you know, it's it happens. It's it's mind blowing to yeah, me. It is. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. Maybe that's the point. <laughs> Exactly. So, okay. So, uh, man, there's, there's so many good things to kind of unpack. Let's. You meant you made a point that I think is so important about biblical interpretation, and you mentioned how, like, you know, it, it's it's a little there's risk involved. You know, like mm-hmm. I I'll put it this way. 
I understand maybe more than ever, even even if I don't agree with it, why the Catholic Church has a pope interpreting the Bible for everyone. Okay, like I get the idea behind it <laughs> because it seems like in the in the circles that we're running in in our cultural moment, we're seeing how the Bible can really be used as a tool of liberation or a mm. weapon of oppression. Mm. And 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 I think that should give us pause before we make blanket statements about about about, about what the Bible is absolutely saying as objective truth or not. Does that make sense? Well, I don't think you should really ever make that claim. Mm. Um, because your assumption there is a, you're the gatekeeper. It comes out of traditions where they believe that they're the gatekeeper to all truth. Yes. And so when you make those claims, like, I, I don't mind if you couch that within an understanding of, okay, here's where our community has derived its understanding. Yes. And this is where the, there's, it's a blessing and a curse where, uh, traditions with deep roots, like going back centuries could be the Roman Catholic church could be mainline that you have history and stories to build from. So right. there's value there. Yeah. Um, but then there's also problems when the very heart, the DNA of that institution is rooted in some really messed up things like colonization, yep. doctrine of discovery, manifest destiny, yep. all these different aspects. Like how do you divorce and extricate yourself from those pieces? In many respects, I don't think you can. Mm. So the, the liberating piece of being a new community and doing so in the, and I think it counts in the, in the context of a smaller community, smaller church to interpret uh, yeah. these, uh, the, the scriptures or theology is that you can find yourself quicker in places where um, <coughs> you're matching some of the cultural demands of today. The flip side of that, of course, is you could be that non-denominational church that is like ho, gung-ho for anti-vax. Right. Uh, and, you know, and you wound up in a totally different place, right? right. So I, for such a small community as, as my own, we don't spend too much of our time just trying to engage the whole. Like, how am I supposed to go up against whatever bigger institution or even church? Like that's not worth my time and I'm not going to change anybody's mind. Right. But yeah. what we can do is we can do our best to try to embody a different way of being together. And I think for me, the, this Jesus story is the best pathway forward unto wholeness. So you use the word uh, sin earlier, which is another piece I try to unpack. Like we, we haven't come up with a, reclaimed or even reimagined understanding of what sin is in a yeah. holistic way. Right. And perhaps it's merely all the things we do that detract from living out the fullness of our humanity. Therefore, our path is trying to unlock more of that fullness, which really matches up to God's story, which is unchanging from Genesis to Revelation and beyond that God is on a path to rescue and redeem all of creation. That's right. it. There's right. nothing, like what, what else are you fighting for? And then ask yourself, does that match into the unchanging dream that God has? So I'm not sure if that answered your question. I think a tangent is off into God's narrative of. Well, <laughs> I think it's a great possibility. <laughs> that you presented here, <laughs> which I love. Talk, talk to me. You mentioned that you have a community. So are, are you like, is pastoring the right word? Are you overseeing? Are you part of? How does that work for you? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the church, the, the second church I planted, co-planted is called Cypher Church. It still is called that, but we don't look anything like what we did. And the Cypher comes out of hip hop terminology. So our church was very much directed towards those who would never connect into even the coolest, skinniest, genius uh, <laughs> contemporary of evangelical churches, right? Yeah. And so we were doing hip hop stuff, art stuff, dance movement. Like, can you imagine church and worship was movement and dance? Like, mm. oh, and it was wild. It's, it was beautiful. Now it's very much it's online because of, of the pandemic that we, we remain in. And uh, it stretches across board, borders, uh, cities. So we're across Canada. Okay. It looks very much uh, like any other church, actually, right now. It, 
never used to, but now it's every other week. Yeah, I would, you can use pastor. No one calls me that. Um, but that, you know, makes sense in a, in a way that I do my best to shepherd the flock, I guess, in a sense, but I'm not bankrolled to do that. And so there's a, <laughs> yeah. a sharing and different postures when you don't have the lead pastor to do everything or even the pastor to do everything, no one on salary to do everything. You have to share and figure out how to do community in, in different ways in that context, which is very much, I think, connected to how church or how community will look like moving forward, especially in a post-pandemic and in a, a post-Christian world, that we need to be okay with, with lifting up and affirming small communities. Like your book club, maybe that counts. Uh, your, you know, Instagram or online community. And if pandemic taught us anything is that you can cultivate online community. Yeah. And I was like, don't you remember? We already talked missional missional is like online and consumer. Right. 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 Get out of here. And now I'm like, look at all the disabled folks who are able to come through now because they are able to at least linger when it's online. I would love some of your insight on this, actually, because I actually struggle with it. I'm going to lay out, I'm going to put my cards on the table, and I, I would like your, your response. Okay. Um, I struggle with the can community be really done well online piece for a couple reasons. I'm just going to put it out there. Um, first, I think for me, nothing replaces that in person spirit in the same room kind of vibe of just we're together in this room. Also, I think that in my experience, I've learned that, and I tell my community this, we can easily over-romanticize the term community. And online allows us to tap in and tap out whenever we want. Even if we're, you know, if we're uncomfortable, we can just tap out. If, if we're, you know, if someone said the, if someone just annoyed me, I don't have to engage them. And I feel like sometimes I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking about, of course, you know, abuse or, or anything like that, but there, you know, for example, if you and I hung out for a week, it's only a matter of time before something's going to annoy someone about something that one of us did. Right. And how you work through that conflict is really important to building healthy mm-hmm. communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are your thoughts as, as you kind of, you know, pastor uh, a smaller community, maybe it's online right now. How, how do you think these these things might intersect? Is it possible to have some of that that friction happen online and, and move past it? Do you think that that long term after the pandemic is hopefully you know not here anymore? It's just small groups of people who are just pretty much friends and eating together and doing you know making doing run you know grocery runs together. Is that what it looks like for you? Give me your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be all those things. So, yeah, I. I'm not an expert in this hmm. um, because remember missional we're formed in shape, <laughs> yeah, like online, right. hot trash. No, right, right, right. So impersonal, but then you see the beauty of it. Then you actually see the product of, of relationship blooming. And if the pandemic taught us anything is two things. One, uh, we don't need the Sony service every week, Yep. but a lot of people still value the connection. Of course. Right. We need it. Right. We need it. We need connection. So to take a complex thought and make it simple, do I think we can do online well? Yes. Do I think we can do online well through an old framework of how we would picture, you know, doing an online service for a larger church? No. And I don't think that's the context that I'm thinking of and how many people, especially generational, when we think about younger generations and how they connect now. Like I grew up in a gen where, where the dot matrix printer was like hot. Like that was, that was new, but I never grew up with the internet until like as readily available on my phone till probably university Mm. I'm thinking. And so that really alters the way people connect. Okay. Mm. I think you can embody the pieces of life-giving community despite being divorced from one another. My sense is the mitigating factor is size in that the Mm. big church couldn't do it well. But if you have your homies and there's a dozen of you at most, (coughs) maybe you can. And in fact, I've seen so many examples where you can embody healthy community 
and it's not correlated to online. Like you don't need to be together in order to know how to deal with conflict in healthy ways. Hmm. Right. Hmm. Like if it, maybe you're, you're just not a nice person or maybe you don't <laughs> know how to deal with conflict properly or in healthy ways, right. being online or being in person is not going to change that. Hmm. So life-giving, intentional community is possible. Is it always a deeper level if we can touch, feel, and ultimately gather around the table and share a meal? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. We lost the table for Cypher Church when the pandemic hit. And that was the central piece. People yeah. coming together, having brunch or dinners together. That was, whew. Yeah. That was the key. We don't have that anymore. And so you have to find other ways. But that was, that was so crucial to our community. But now we have discovered <coughs> new ways. And also we're finding our kin. Like Twitter has enabled an open, let's use that as one example, Sure, people to find their kin, their people, not just to find good resources like, like your own, right? Uh, on TikTok or on Instagram to find resources, which is like hot right now. You can find good stuff online. You're not going right. to find it in person right. online. And you could even center around a handful of people who will now do community and look after each other online or like what, not just the internet, but like the phone. Have you heard of the phone and like the texting <laughs> right. and the WhatsApping? Right. And so all of those pieces, I think does offer the possibilities of doing community really well. And we yeah. need to embrace that and walk through it. Um, but, and the caveat to that is I would all things considered, want to gather around that table too maybe we don't need to do it every week like we've been shaped and formed right i don't think so. i don't think i've ever done service every week for mm. 20 years mm. we, do we need that no but can we figure out how to do life better and deeper together that's way way harder i love that um starting the new evangelicals on instagram in uh december of uh, i guess what is this uh 2020 so yeah it'll be two years in december um i that's awesome yeah great yeah. job <laughs> no, that's fantastic it's only two years man yeah even. yeah yeah it's been about um i guess what 15 months something like that 16 months yeah. but um you know at first i was like eh, it's digital you know but i i I'm a very relational person naturally, and so I realized pretty quickly that people who lost their church communities were were just like, "Hey, the fact that you responded to my DM, like, it just it, it lets me know that we're connected, right?" Or people would say, "Hey, um, you might not know this, but like, this is the only reason why I have Instagram." Right. And it's like, wow. And those were the moments for me that kind of shifted even my perspective from we have to only be in person, have to only be in person. You know, that that's how real friendships are formed or relationships too. Wow, people are are so I don't use the word desperate, but but so much has been taken away from them in 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 in, in their day to day that that they are clinging to these spaces to try and hang on, right? And trying to know that I'm not alone. Um, in either what happened to me um, uh, or my thoughts about certain theological things I was taught. And that was kind of a shift for me as well. And, and you know, I go back and forth. Like you, I, I believe that that meals are just, they're spiritual. You know, it's one of the first things you do as a human when you're born, you eat, yeah. you know, it's built into us. And I think that's important, but I think that online has really helped people who have maybe been exiled from evangelical church culture yeah, to find each other, yeah. you know? Absolutely. It's, it's like, it's connection. It counts. And then there's possibilities of deeper too. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting because I don't want to sound like that elder millennial, like, well, back in my day, we always met on Sunday yeah. mornings and that's real community. Right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But also, <laughs> you know, we, we, so, but also I, I want to be forward thinking, but I also, what's important to me the most is the relationships. I mean, there's a reason why, yeah. you know, I'm in my, literally I'm in, I'm on Instagram all day in my DMS, audio messaging, texting, because that's what gets me up in the morning is that I'm talking to mm. people, not that I'm making a video, mm. you know, like that's fine. But <laughs> yeah. the fact that people are engaging, that we're helping, 
that were trying to carve better paths forward, you know, that were trying to explore the, the different rooms of the Christian tradition that we never were exposed to or we were told were a heresy or not really Christian. That's like, and doing it together, like that's so key, especially now. I, I would like your thoughts on this. I'm realizing more and more for me just how deeply entrenched this Christian nationalist framework is in white mm. evangelical spaces. I'm realizing how it's tied to a lot of the theology I was taught. Not saying that that theology maybe isn't, is always inherently dangerous, but I'm just noticing there's, there, there's a correlation there. And I'm also realizing that there's a whole industry. There's a whole industry um, that, that is focused on, on keeping the gates protected. You know, I call them, it's the apologetics industry, mm. <laughs> but, but that's what they do. And they're well-funded, they're well-connected, and I feel like for people to find new ways and carve new paths, we have to be connected to each other, you know, and find ways to do it together. Even if we have our differences of, of, of certain maybe theological opinions or whatever it is, we have to find better ways of liberation that, that, that focus on the community doing it together. That's the only mm. way we're going to be able to either respond to some of this stuff or just carve better paths. Canada's a little bit different than America in this, yet we, I mean, I get it in that uh, Christian nationalism isn't as overt and also the religious right is not as <coughs> pronounced. Uh, our connection pieces are to mainline traditions. Mm. So it makes this kind of weird like we still have separate school boards in most of the provinces with Catholic school. So you can go to Catholic or well, if you're Catholic or public school. Hmm. So like there's that weird piece that still exists. Um, but we don't have the same engine hmm. behind producing yeah. the last vestiges uh, to hold the last vestiges of power. Hmm. And when you lose power, you start to get worried and not only will you continue to protect, like there's, there's not going to be an altering to the posture of right-wing conservative evangelicalism or fundamentalism. They're not going to change, right? That posture is in power preservation mode. I think it's cracking. And when you don't deal with the loss of power in healthy ways, if your whole psyche and narrative as a person and, and as a nation, especially if you're white, is centered around your inherited power and privileges, manifest destiny, um, doctrine of discovery being the roots of those pieces, and then building a whole faith on top of it, that when you lose those pieces, it's a threat. Right. And part of it is, is, is you then get abject violence from it. Right. So like, where, where do you go from that? And as you'll be different than, than me, when things are so deeply entrenched, when religious beliefs are so deeply entrenched, getting away from it, like you're always going to come back. It's like therapy. You're always going to come back to the quote unquote drawing board to deal with another piece of old formation you never even knew you had. Yeah. And it's like, oh man, this again, it's so exhausting. But right. if you spent 20 years being formed into that thing, how long do you think it's going to take to get out? Exactly. And exactly. you're always going back to the drawing board, back to, but here's the, the, the piece. I think there's never going to be a shortage of outrage and, and we have to be outraged. We have to be outraged about the total incompetence of white evangelicalism and white fundamentalism surrounding aspects of justice. There's just a total illiteracy around the magnitude of how justice is woven into the very heart of Jesus's message. It is a literacy, to put it lightly. Mm. So there's never going to be an end to who we can call out. There's never going to be an end to Theo Bros trying to, you know, extract money from right. so and so. There's never going to be. There's always going to be this never-ending funnel of people realizing they finally worked up perhaps the courage to realize that they're being pulled down, that they are missing their liberation, that freedom is on the other side away from these pieces of religious formation. The reality is we can't be outraged all the time, right? can we? And if we have limited energy, if, if we have limited energy, what does it look like then to cultivate 
into life-giving things instead. Like we can outrage ourselves on Instagram for, for a never-ending slew of idiocy. Right. And I don't know if it's harder. It might take a little bit more imagination. Like, okay, as an aside, I write better when I'm angry at something and it just like spews out. Right. But it's a little bit harder to pause and linger and with friends in community to figure out what it might mean to pave a path towards life-giving alternatives. So right. with limited energy, do you want to spend it screaming at Sean, so-and-so, John, you know, fill my cup or what? I don't know these guys. And, yeah. or do you want to spend at least some of that energy dreaming up life-giving alternatives? Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, to be just transparent with you and everyone listening to this conversation, I, I go back and forth. I mean, we, we kind of yeah. do a little, a little bit of both and we do a lot of um, internal stuff, Zoom groups and try and hold space for those who are trying to figure things out, right? And how do we how do we move forward? But I think being a white conservative evangelical who helped build up so much of this, I almost feel like a burning in my gut to help dismantle it. Right. Like, well, if I was complicit, mm. am, am I like paying my, am I paying for my, my penance, so to speak, right? By, by now going <laughs> from, penance, yeah. from like one extreme to the other, where it's like, I was all in, I was the drummer, I helped do this, I helped church plant, I helped, you know, I had the Facebook statuses, you know, that were just propping all this up. And now it's like, well, no, I have to be part of like, of, 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 of shouting back. And I think the other part of that too is, and again, it's a weird dynamic for me, but we get a lot of messages that say, you or whoever did the video, whatever it is, you're putting into words things that I don't have words yeah. for yet. Thank yes. you. Yeah, yeah. And so there's this other part where it's like we're kind of advocating in a way for people and letting like the circles that we grew up in know that we're not taking this lying down and that mm. in a way, mm. and I'm, I'm kind of ranting, I'll finish up here in a minute, but yeah, in a way, um, in a way, because we were on the inside, we know how the sausage is made. Mm. So really, we're <laughs> the biggest threat to those systems. You know, like we know, I know how it works in these spaces. Yeah. I know how it's built. I know how the mm. worship works. I know how the volunteer <laughs> systems work. I know what Ableton is. I know what PCO is. Like I know all that stuff, right? And so because of that, because of our experiences, I think that that's why we're seeing such a massive push from a lot of individuals about this quote unquote deconstruction movement. It's not a movement, it's an explosion and how it's dangerous <laughs> because they That's see good. that it's people who were really, a lot of us were the most invested. So we mm. know how it works. So I, 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 I have this like dueling part of me. That's like, we have to carve better paths forward and we have to work towards our liberation. But also I'm shouting back down those steps at those people who are telling other people that if they walk up those steps, they're going into heresy. I'm saying, no, they're not. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so there's yeah, that yeah, part yeah. of Amen. it too. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, uh, I, this is my hunch, and I, you might be able to confirm it. This is my hunch, and I think it's true, and I think it's been happening for over a decade now. In that right-wing <clears throat> conservative Christian media, um, all those organizations, I can't ring them all off because I don't know them. <laughs> you know, uh, I think they're bleeding. They're ble bleeding people. They're bleeding money. The deconstruction problem with them, the, the reason why they're raising the warning flags, what colors are warning? Oh, the red flag. <laughs> uh, I just figured out what that means on Twitter, man. I'm, I'm yeah. not the smartest bear on Twitter. They're raising the red flag. It's because their own people are leaving. And so I think that they're bleeding people, which means they're bleeding money. And so when you hit them in the pocketbook and not as many people are buying the conference tickets and the buying the books and signing up for the whatevers, right? right? I think it's making a difference. And so your dismantling is in fact shepherding people unto better. And right. the, the slow exodus is rolling on out. And yeah, sometimes that takes on outrage. And then sometimes that's actually you are shepherding better outside of the outrage because it's easy. Like that's don't they own that? Don't they own outrage? It's just they mad about everything. Right. Right. Everything you're mad. They're always mad. And I wonder if I'm always mad because they were always mad and kind of shaped me to be mad. And right. Right. So, exactly. <laughs> is there better? Do I have to 
do I have to relearn better as in my own Christianity of how to cultivate like life-giving postures rather than (laughs) screaming at people of how messed up. Yeah. uh, uh, What's the guy? Uh, uh, Mark D. Mark Driscoll. Mark. Yeah. M Driscoll. We'll just use that just in case. (laughs) Nobody will know. Nobody will know who we're talking about. (laughs) You know, that dude's bleeding like money. Like people are slowly on the, like we're winning. We're winning. Mm-hmm. We're winning because there's life on the other side. And yeah. when you start seeing the light and you come out of the basement, you're, you're right. like, oh my gosh, it was so dark down there. <laughs> right. And the light is hitting me and it's beautiful. Yes. That takes a different posture, I think, when you know content creators are building up like, I don't know, is it, it's, is it too trite to say you, you get more bees with honey is that the is that the saying <laughs> yeah you get same? more flies with honey or something like that instead of vinegar something, or something like, like that, that. <laughs> whatever but i mean it's it's actually more shrewd than that it's subversive in that you're beating them at the money game ultimately not that you're raking in the money but you're taking the people <laughs> right. right and taking them out of that and what what my book is about is when the people leave it's like you're left flailing like what do i believe is there anything left and i just exactly. got to leave it all and right. i say no no, no, no. Here's some possibilities. And deeper is out there. Liberation yeah. is out there. Wholeness is out there. I love that. And just to kind of confirm what you said, I think you're right. Um, Samuel Perry, who wrote the book, Taking, Back, uh, Taking America Back for God, he's a sociologist. He says that in his right studies, um, uh, the, the, the people who really, who really embody and, and push Christian nationalism, they're really a growing minority, but as they lose power, they become a louder vocal minority, mm, yeah, you know, yeah, and they yeah, still yeah. have a lot of powerful ties. And I also mm-hmm. read an article the other day that Willow Creek Community Church, which is one of the largest churches in America, uh, it's it's like down to half its size compared to what it was a couple of years ago. So I, I think that there definitely are some of those things happening where people yeah. are, are, no pun intended, but they're getting over the smoke show, you know, like they're, they're, they're over the lights, they're over the haze. Yeah. Uh, they were told you belong, you know, welcome home. <laughs> And then they yeah. said, well, maybe being queer isn't sinful. And they were kicked out. It's like, well, I guess I really wasn't home then, you know? Um, but let me ask you this before we get ready to r- wrap up here. So your book comes out. Well, it's it's out. It technically, it's, it's out now. It is out. It is out. Where can people it, find it? Where can they buy anywhere, it? Anywhere. Anywhere, man. Everywhere. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, and where can they find you? Uh, I might have lost him. Are you there? Yeah, I'm, I'm back. I'm back. Oh, there you are. My bad. Um, where can people find you? Are you on, you're on Twitter anywhere else? At Rohati on Twitter, uh, Rohati.Nagasaur on Instagram. That's kind of where, where I hang out. There's some Facebook stuff, but I'm mostly on Twitter yammering. You also have a website. It looks like. Oh yeah. My website, Rohati.com. Okay. But that's, you know, same Twitter stuff. Yeah. I'd love to hear from folks, especially like very similar to you. It's like when folks reach out and be like, oh man, you finally put into language the things that I was feeling and making sense of. It's like, that is almost worth more than dollars. <laughs> honestly. I, I <laughs> oh, my friend, honestly, this was a, this was so cool. It was, it was great yeah, talking about this likewise. stuff and you give me a lot to think about, you know, it's, it's really thought provoking and how do we move forward? How do we fight for a liberation together? I love that. Mm-hmm. Hey, the book, for those of you who might've forgotten already, cause you're driving and you spaced out, we forgive you, but it's called when we belong reclaiming Christianity on the margins. It is out now. You can pick it up wherever books are sold. Check it out. Uh, check out Rahadi's website. There's a, there's some podcast episodes there. There's a blog there. I'm looking at a blog title right now. White replacement theory is not fringe. Amen to that. <laughs> That was um, we, yesterday's post. Uh, we, 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 did a, we did a whole thing on it yesterday as well in our story. Yeah, I saw that. Just had to unpack. Like, guys, you need to know, we need, you have to know what's going on here. So anyway, mm. uh, thanks for making it work. I appreciate you coming on. <laughs> it was my pleasure. It was fun. Yeah, let's do it again. Let's I'm wrap in. it again. I'm in. <laughs>